What's going on, everybody? It's that time again. The All Sooners Podcast, episode 172 on this Wednesday, February 1st, 2023. Josh Calloway in Oklahoma City, Ryan Chapman and more, John Hoover in Tulsa. Gentlemen, how are we doing? We're doing great, I guess. We got the schedule. <laughs> schedule! We're scheduled up through the fall now. Let's we know go. where we're going and when we're going to be there, supposedly. We'll see. Yeah. It's, uh, it's been really nice because it means that I know our good friend Josh Calloway has some peace of mind with knowing where everything's Finally. going. But no, it... In years past, this hasn't really mattered, right? Because it's like, hey, here are the teams that Oklahoma's playing. These are the nine teams. We already know the home. We already know the road. It's just what the order is, when that bye week is, all that stuff. This was The only reason I think I cared so much because I was like, there is no guarantee of who, what, when, where, and all that stuff. And so I was like, let's right. just get this thing out there and go. And so it, it, it's hard for us hacks to make offseason projections when we don't know who Oklahoma's playing. You know what I mean? Absolutely. And you're right. Peace of mind, but also fear. Because I have to dread Utah in late November for 10 months now. It's going to be weighing on me. It's going to be hanging over me. But it is what it is. And I'll, I look forward to it. I picked, I used the gif of uh, you know Jack Nicholson in The Shining where he just is frozen to death. That's what I imagine <laughs> it'll be. That's the theme <laughs> in uh, late November in Provo. But we'll worry about that when we get there. we got a long road before then. The schedule did finally drop. It's a miracle. Late Monday night, Big 12 puts out. It's coming out tomorrow at 1. It was like, all right, finally, let's let's go ahead and do this thing. And they did. They dropped it right at 1. I was expecting Bay 12 to like make us wait to like 115 or something. <laughs> but it was 1. 1 o'clock, they dropped it. Straight up. We now no Oklahoma schedule. I'll rattle it off real quick. Just 12 games. We already knew, obviously, you open with Arkansas State and SMU at home. Then you go to Tulsa. We already knew that. At Cincinnati is the first Big 12 game. Iowa State at home. The Texas game. Then you have your bye week after 6, right in the middle. UCF comes to town. Storylines galore there at Kansas, at Oklahoma State, West Virginia at home, at Provo, like I just said, for the last road game. And then TCU comes to Norman on Black Friday to round out the season. That's going to be a very interesting game. Could be potentially a blockbuster type game, depending on how the season goes. But on paper, it looks like it could be one. There you have it. Schedule is finally out. Just We're going to get all into the nuts and bolts of it. That's what February football talk is for, is this kind of thing. Just right off the top, first takeaways. What jumped out to you when you first finally saw this? We had heard whispers about the possibility of, of some of these opponents, but like kind of like Ryan was saying, we had no clue the order. What jumped out off the screen to you when you first saw this thing uh, drop finally yesterday? Well, the first thing was Monday night, right? When we got the hint from uh, fbschedules.com that they clipped a, a screenshot of TCU's actual schedule that was accidentally leaked and posted that they took down immediately, but... They had uh, TCU coming to Oklahoma on Black Friday. That's the first thing that jumped out to me because I think Oklahoma is going to move heaven and earth to get that thing moved back to Saturday. OU hates a Boers playing Friday night football games at home, and I think they're going to do everything in their power to uh, get that thing moved back to Saturday. Yeah, for me, it was... I I don't really think we had the, oh, the Dylan Gabriel rematch because UCF was leaking left, right, and center. TCU accidentally leaked the entire schedule that we saw the next day. I think Houston was tripping over themselves to call Ross Dellinger and, and tell them that they were hosting Texas. There was a lot of, oh my God, look who we got, look who we got. Yeah. But once that sunk in, for me, the biggest thing, 
was who is not on the schedule for Oklahoma. This is a team that went three and six last year in the Big 12. And so if you're trying to chart the year two progress, okay, you start thinking about close games the Sooners played, all that stuff. What what can they flip from a loss to a win? Well, guess what? Under the old scheduling model, OU would have had to go to Kansas State, a game that they lost last year. Don't worry about it. Not on the schedule. OU would have had to go to Baylor, where they were trying to avoid losing three straight to the Bears. Don't worry about it. Not on the schedule. Texas Tech looks like they're on the rise. And obviously, we were there in Lubbock for that wild regular season finale. Don't worry about it. It's not there. Literally, the only thing that could have been better for Oklahoma, because you knew you were playing Texas, so that's not a loss you can take off the schedule, is if you had flopped Houston for TCU and, and played the Cougars instead of the Horn Frogs. Otherwise... It's about as favorable as it gets for Oklahoma because that uh, West Virginia, that's a home game. That's a loss they lost last year, getting TCU at home, and then Texas is Texas. Uh, as far as that goes, I thought that was very favorable for Oklahoma, even though they're going to have to do a lot of traveling between Provo and then Cincinnati. Yeah, and the three that you take out, you replace them with Cincinnati and, and UCF. Those are very manageable games for Oklahoma for sure, and and uh, obviously uh, BYU. But that's a little more challenging being on the road, like you said, in, in uh, late November. What November eighteenth? What the heck? 18th. November eighteenth. Yeah. Uh, just yeah. to be just to be clear, just to clarify for Josh, he's dreading that trip to Provo, November eighteenth. Not because he hates Provo, not because he hates Utah, not because he hates BYU. Because he's the one of us three that sits outside in the Correct. elements during the game and shoots the video. So, yeah, uh, buckle up, bundle up, Josh, and uh, stay warm. Yeah, I. I shot one game last year and got the flu. Like, uh, yeah. basically, I, I did Josh's <laughs> job for one game and got the flu and missed the next game. It's, uh, I love being on the field, and I think Utah will be really cool. I think yeah. it's one of the more scenic. I mean, I, I look, I do look forward to it. I dread it, but I look forward to it at the same time. But, yeah, I mean, there's some very snowy potential for that game, I would think. I'm not a Utah connoisseur. I've, the only time I've ever been in Utah is the Salt Lake City Airport on a layover. So I've never really been to Utah for real so we'll see i look forward to it though um cincinnati i don't know what to make of that one who were you at the last cincinnati game yes what was it like what was the intel this one is expected to be at nippert whereas that yeah. one was at the bengal stadium right it was paul brown back then in what 2010 i think uh but this one is uh i don't know if they can sell a bunch of tickets they'll move it to the Bra- to the bengal stadium again um it was September, so it was fine. This will be, what, September 2, so I'm sure the weather will mm-hmm. be nice. Uh, we're going to get some Italian food. There's a little Italian neighborhood <laughs> that's just uh, right. think, east of the stadium, so uh, we'll get some Italian food there. Uh, I'll tell you guys when we get closer to the to the actual game what the name of the place is. I don't want it sold out when I go there. It's basically <laughs> why I'm not going to reveal it. So, But there's a place. It's really good. Well, it, it's going to end up being about the same time as as that first trip to Cincinnati, Oklahoma's yeah. only trip in program history to Cincinnati, because remember, that was when you had four non-conference games. This one is the first conference game for Oklahoma, and so not a bye week or anything like that. So in the first four weeks of the season, it should be pretty good. So if it stays at Nippert, that'll be OU's first ever trip to Nippert. It's going to be OE's first ever trip to Provo. Oklahoma's played BYU twice. One of those was in the 94 Copper Bowl in Tucson. The other was the first American football game to ever be played at Jerry World. Chelsea Football Club, of course, played the first sporting event ever at Jerry World. But uh, I know Oklahoma fans would not like to remember that BYU game. Maybe get a little bit of revenge. But uh, 
there's a reason we're talking about these road games, guys, because who you mentioned it, Oklahoma doesn't like to play Friday home games. They sure don't want to play, I would assume, a Friday home game considering what the home slate is this year. Josh, you went through it. There are some pretty gross games as far as just face value, sticker shock, all that stuff. I understand that it was supposed to be Georgia and, and that SMU's the replacement, and there's really not a ton OU could do. But I went through and totaled it up and head over to allcenters.com. Not only did we have the schedule release, but we had our takeaways. TCU went to the CFP. There's going to be questions about what they're doing. But if you take TCU out of it, the rest of Oklahoma's home games, those teams went 28 and 35 last year combined. So you got TCU yeah. and not a lot else coming into Norman. Yeah, no, I, it, it is a favorable schedule, like you said. Uh, you get three of the newbies. You don't play Houston. And it's it, it's funny. Uh, my wife, Madeline, showed me a thing yesterday on, on College Football Reddit. And it was all these fans of the new teams, UCF, BYU, Cincinnati, <laughs> all kind of reacting to their schedule and being like, I don't know if we're cut out for this. Like actually seeing the schedule on the screen and they're like, these feel like we're going to lose a lot of games. So it's kind of funny to be on the other side of because the Big 12 is looked at as such a, you know, an easy ride for the most part. Yeah. But these new well, teams coming in are looking at their slate like, oh my God, we have to play a real team every week. This is going to be tough. In two years, maybe one year, Oklahoma and Texas are going to be going through that same thing. They're going to be yeah. pulling those SEC games going, oh, crap. This is for real. <laughs> we may go five and seven or six and six or whatever. Yeah. Did you guys get catch yeah. uh, Josh Pate's take? I haven't listened back to it yet. Well, he just said essentially for, for in Oklahoma's case, uh, hey, Oklahoma, on your way out, we're going to put – we're going to give you uh, the – a November 18th game in Provo. It's the third road game for you in four weeks. Mm -hmm. And then you get a short week the following week to finish up with our basically defending champion, almost your CFP team, TCU. Uh, the big 12 didn't do Oklahoma any favors is, uh, is what Josh Pate is saying on this. One of the road games is Kansas, not a hard road game. One of the road games is Oklahoma state physically you're right up the road, not a hard road game. So it's a little overstated, but yeah. yeah, that finishing at BYU on a on a Saturday night probably turn around and play TCU at home on a Friday night. That's a that's a bit of a challenge, even if you're Oklahoma. Yeah, no, hundred um, percent. You know that was where I was going to go next. Was what is the toughest game or stretch that jumps out to you? Is like Ooh, that could be where maybe the wheels fall off or where they collect some losses because it does feel like that end stretch of playing BYU and Provo and then. Yeah, TCU on a short week after that long trip feels kind of dicey. I mean, it could be. We don't know what any of these teams are going to be. You know, coming into last year, we all thought Baylor was going to be really good. Yep. And they weren't. Now, they did beat OU, but obviously OU won six games, which we didn't expect either. So it's hard to project that stuff on February 1st, but that, that jumps off the screen. But is there anything noticeable here that you're looking at as saying, that's a that's a tough game or tough full stretch that, that you know, jumps off the page, I guess? Um, No. Not, not really. This, it's a pretty not really schedule, not this particular schedule. It's not like, uh, oh my god, that's you know, three of the last four going into that TCU game, like Josh said, uh, are road games. So logistically, a little bit of a challenge. Um, I think the BYU game, just by its nature, uh, it's going to be their senior day. They're already yeah. talking about, hey, we get a senior day and we get to welcome in Oklahoma. You know that. So they're already fired up about that. That's going to be a challenge. Uh, and then finishing the season with the team that just went to the CFP, sure, that'll be a challenge. 
but T- remember we projected last year, TCU was supposed to be like five and seven and finish seventh in the conference or eighth in the conference. And right. they came out of nowhere. So in this age, I'll bring it up using the old man term in, in, in this age of transfer portal, uh, it's just tough to predict and project who's going to be really good, especially when we get to November. Yeah, absolutely. So really, that, that's kind of what uh, Chisholm Hall and I were talking yesterday on the radio. Like, I feel like we have to have two conversations. Conversation one is like, oh, you has to get a lot better for this to even really matter as far as what we're talking, projecting schedule, toughest stretch, all that stuff. But the second part is all we're able to do is look at what they did last year and try to pick through some portal additions and it's not an overly, oh my gosh, a, a grueling slate. Like you look at what TCU has in November and then you look at Oklahoma being like, okay, yeah, you got to hit the road, but you have to go to Stillwater, which like who said, not a grueling road trip game intense, yeah. but as far as yeah. the travel getting there, not bad. A bad West Virginia team's coming into Norman. You head out to BYU who may not be very good, even though they're juiced. So that's a mental trip. If Oklahoma takes those steps forward, TCU, I mean, outside of that, are we trying to circle the Iowa State game as your quintessential trap game of like Oklahoma has two road games? One of them's half a road game, kind of, because it's going to Tulsa, heading over to Cincinnati, where that Scott Satterfield, like, that's going to look a lot different. We don't know what that's going to be like. You got Texas on the other side of the Cyclones, and then an open week on the other side of Texas. So everyone's just like, get to Texas, and you've got the bye week. I don't think I would say it's going to be any good, but if if the defense can continue to play at the level they've played, like. That has every recipe of like, hey, you're coming back home for one week. Everyone's juiced for Texas. Should still be. You'd hope if everything goes right and Oklahoma makes those improvements, 4-0. and Everyone's feeling good. This is different. The Big 12 slate started different than it did last year. Got to avenge the embarrassment of 49 nothing. And, oh, by the way, it's an Iowa State team that's just a pain in the butt to play any given time, whether they're good or they're not. Yeah, no, and they, yeah, they come in normal, like you said, kind of sandwiched right in kind of a, a funny spot there. Um, so we'll see. We'll see. Uh, everything you know now, roster, whatever, and these are not final at all. We'll, we'll make final ones later. What's a win total, there? you think, looking at this? What's a win total that you can, you know, Oklahoma's conceivably going to get or slash you're expecting on February 1st? I mean, because to me, nine wins, ten wins? I mean, there's a lot of winnable games on here. That's a good question, Josh. Let's let's project it out. Um, Arkansas State, SMU, Tulsa, three and zero at Cincinnati. Fourth game. I'm going to say they win that one. Go four and zero. Right. Iowa State at home. I'm going to say they win that one. Matt uh, Campbell has given them some problems in Norman and in Ames, obviously. But I'm going to say they win that one. That's five and zero. Texas, co- toss your coin. I know last year was forty nine nothing, but uh, you know who knows with OU Texas. Mm-hmm. Uh, let's just say they lose that one in their five and one, one, two, three, four, five and one, uh, UCF at home. They win that one six and one at Kansas seven and one. We think we'll see what, uh, we'll see what the Jayhawks have up in their sleeve. <laughs> and they've got 85 scholarship players for the first that, time. Do they have 85 right now? Yeah, that was their big for the first time in a decade. It's been 10 years guys, but they, they use this window. Like Brett Venable said of, uh, different roster constraints, and they're back to 85. So shout out to Lance Leipold. Yeah. Uh, since Kansas hasn't beaten Oklahoma in 30-some years, right? I think it is. Uh, we'll go ahead and project OU to win that one. That's 7-1 <laughs> Oklahoma State. Depleted. Uh, is they're not going to be any good. Is Alan they've, Bowman they've lost... alive by Bedlam? Is he, yeah. is he still kicking? That's the question. They've lost a bunch of 
talent. They've lost coaches. Eight and one. Uh, BYU, West Virginia, and TCU is the key stretch for them. They need to win that one at home. Ten, nine and one at BYU. Let's just say things go crazy and they lose one of those last two. I say ten wins is is a is a real easy projection for the schedule. Yeah, and that's again. You could roll out the same OU team that played last year that was wildly inconsistent, and you replace K-State, Baylor, and Tech with a Cincinnati team that has questions, UCF that's just not been able to find those levels that they hit under Frost, and then on the road to BYU. Like, There's no reason why you shouldn't be able to flip those into wins just because you're playing worse teams. So th- that's without yeah. any projection, and based off what we talked about of Oklahoma hitting the portal, stuff like that, like Big, massive red flags, I think. Unless there's just a couple of these teams that come out of nowhere, TCU style. If Oklahoma doesn't get to nine wins, that's where you start really raising your eyebrows of, does this coaching staff kind of got this thing together? Seriously. Yep. Yeah, based off this schedule, yeah. If uh, if they're three and two or three and three or something, I think we'll be seeing the Jackson Arnold show before, uh, before too long. They need to get off to a good start, at least. Uh, I think that's safe to say. We'll do the conspiracy theory thing. Oklahoma and Texas are the only teams in the Big 12, as it stands now, that have interacted with the conference schedule in zero fashion. The schedule is not current. I won't speak for Texas as much. For Oklahoma, the schedule is not on the website, which actually works out great for us. If you Google OU football schedule, our story pops up, which is really <laughs> funny. Thank you, because OU. the schedule is not on the website. It's nowhere to be found on OU. They have no information about it. They didn't send out a release about it. They didn't tweet about it. What gives? What is this? Why Why? Why do you guys make that this is happening? What, what could the reason be for Oklahoma and Texas just basically not acknowledging that the schedule is out? Has college football not gotten weird? Weird. I mean, this is as this is think about the 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 PR spin, the the good look, the optics that go into this. This looks bad all around when your two flagship schools who are leaving and have acknowledged we're leaving and everybody's saying, good, there's the door, get out. They haven't even acknowledged this this schedule. Now, the only semi-official thing that has come up is Longhorn Network's Twitter has tweeted uh, <laughs> the schedule in format of, of various uh, screenshots of SpongeBob SquarePants, which is freaking <laughs> hilarious, especially the Kansas one. <laughs> It's hilarious. Uh, that's that's as close as we've gotten to anything official from any of the schools. Texas has not posted any any new links. Uh, that you know everybody's got their own kind of news channel, uh, not channel. What am I trying to say? Maybe a link, a front page that you can go to on the website where hey, this is our top story. Neither Oklahoma nor Texas's official website has anything regarding this schedule. It is bizarre. Yeah, as, as of the time of recording, you'd popped over to Soonersports.com. There's nothing there. Uh, this is not accidental. I, I know that a lot of people have speculated about it, but I, I can tell you this is this is not accidental. This was uh, directive, maybe putting it strong. Coordinated is, is not the right word either, but it is no accident, and this is not a coincidence, and this is intentional. This is intentional. So... Uh, for me, that just in my head, th- this is speculation corner, speculation corner. But in my head, I'm just like, OK, so we had the schedule that has been pushed back, pushed back, pushed back. And the schedule that Oklahoma has is a, a 
it's a version of the schedule that Josh and I had seen before. So Oklahoma's schedule was not changed. We had this announcement be pushed back at least three different times. What was holding it up then? What 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 is what is going on there? And yeah. spinning out of that, why would Oklahoma and Texas then respond to this in, in this way? That's what kind of makes my gears spin of trying to figure out: is this a unhappy with the schedule? Is this a unhappy with behind the scenes stuff as far as trying to negotiate other parts, moving parts of the contract to to get out early or pay out like? I don't know, but that's where my brain immediately went to because otherwise this is just really, really weird when it's been awkward, but the Big 12 Texas and Oklahoma have played nice the last year, at least on social media. Yeah. It's been awkward, and, and this is the first real line in the sand, it feels like. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it, Ryan. Line in the sand. Put yourself in the boardroom right now between uh, Chris Del Conte, Joe Castiglione, and Brett Yormark, and maybe some of the other athletic directors. Uh, in the Big 12, those guys are saying to OU in Texas, here's what we want before you leave. Here's the guarantees. We weren't, we're going to hold your feet to the fire on this, and we're, we're gonna, you're going to promise us that. This is under contract. You're going to fulfill these contract terms. Oklahoma and Texas are like, wait a minute. We, we've got these ideas, and we'd rather do this, and you've treated us this way, and you've ignored us. And what about all this officiating where Oklahoma had, what was it, offensive line, uh, the opposing offensive line had one holding call on them called again the entire season? Those things are sticking in people's craws. And when you go into the boardroom and you start negotiating and you start uh, talking about, you know, leaving early or, or buying out or whatever, you better believe these things are coming up. You better believe. So I think this is just OU and Texas's way of being petty. I'd like to think that. I don't think they're going to come out and make any land, you know, landmark kind of earth changing announcements. Um they may come out and say, we've talked to our television partners and we moved that damn TCU game off of Friday night. They may <laughs> say, say something like that. I don't know, but I don't. I just get the feeling that uh, really nobody's happy about the way this thing is being treated. Not the two schools about the way the Big 12 has handled it, and the Big 12 members are not happy about the way OU and Texas have handled it. They just want to play Nebraska at night, guys. That's all. That, that was... <laughs> they just want to play Nebraska at night. <laughs> I wonder yeah, what- I think... I think it is a chance that it gives you a peek behind the curtain a little bit, kind of like you guys are saying, uh, saying as a as to why it was delayed so many times. Um, Oklahoma and Texas were at the center of it, which you could probably guess. Um, but yeah, the negotiation for leaving the conference, preferably a year early, 2024, I think was probably a, a large part of what took so long to get this finalized. And I think Oklahoma and Texas' actions, or lack thereof, kind of confirms that in a roundabout way. I'll be interested to see, too, what role Fox has in all this. Because remember, if we circle all the way back um, to, was it Bruce Feldman or The Athletic? Whoever had it first, apologies. Uh, The stories came out within a week of each other about, like, yes, the Big 12, OU, and Texas are talking about an early exit and exploring what that would look like. Remember, one of the big things in the room is not Oklahoma, not Texas, not the Big 12, but the fact that Fox is going to roll up and be like, wait, wait, wait. We give you this money, Big 12 Conference, because we get our pick of OU Texas games. Like We get in the rotation to draft that bad boy. And if OU and Texas are gone in 2024, the value of our contract is a lot less. And so there was going to have to be 
basically behind the scenes, ESPN and Fox negotiating stuff and then talking to the conference, all that. I, I just wonder, it's not just a matter of getting OU Texas and the rest of the Big 12 and Brett Yormark in the room. Like that, There were other circumstances with TV partners and all that, and I wonder how much that can, can put a drag on things, which would make sense why uh, if you have that many moving parts, this thing got pushed back a couple of times. Yeah, and consider that losing that inventory if you're a TV network, you've already negotiated the prices, you've already negotiated the buyout, the the, the revenue stream, all that. The dollar figures are on paper. Everything's dead. Oh, you in Texas leave early. The other schools are now having to adjust their budgets because why? Because oh, you in Texas left early and they're being paid less by the networks. I could see where there should be some real sore feelings in this thing uh, on both sides. Yeah, I'll tell you what, I'll, I'll, we'll wrap up on this. I, the public perception, I think, of this whole release has not gone very well for the Big 12 because if you look at any of these major outlets, Fox, CBS, ESPN, whatever, they put out these lists of most highly anticipated Big 12 games, they're all OU in Texas games, almost exclusively. And then, like Ryan referenced earlier, BYU, in one of their official accounts, puts out this whole video breaking down how excited they are to have Oklahoma for the last game of the year, and it's like, Man, the other schools in this conference just don't elicit that kind of response. So Oklahoma and Texas are winning without even saying anything, which makes it even better. Yeah. If, uh, if they were that excited, you'd think that BYU would have sprung for a separate sign for Oklahoma and Texas in the press box. That's true. That's true. Splitting the OU Texas on the uh, the pro. We'll get to see that sign with our actual eyeballs. I look forward to it. I will take a photo <laughs> of it to, to prove that it is real, to verify it. Schedule's out. It feels good. I don't know if photographers are, are allowed in the press box, Josh. <laughs> you got to stay down there. New Big, 12, uh, new Big 12 stadium. We don't know what their rules are. That's right. It's <laughs> a whole new world. the entire eight hours outside. <laughs> it's a whole new world out there. They're not even used to being in a conference. They haven't been in a conference, period, in forever. So they're going to yeah. be – they might not know what's going on. I think since the Mountain West, right? Mountain West, and they were independent for however long, 10 yeah, years like or so. Last 10 years or so, something like that. Yeah, so going to be a new world for them, uh, new world for Cincinnati. It's going to feel like we're not even in conference play because the first conference game is at Cincinnati. It's going to feel like an extra non-con game, yeah. but going to be fun to get these new teams in here. UCF coming is, is fun for obvious reasons, the Gabriel Levy thing. So uh, there's some fun games on here. It's kind of ugly in some areas, but it's nice to have a schedule. It just feels good, and I will look at it often. As uh, we'll we counted some down. skyline chili in September, I know that voice. I've never had it, so I feel like I have to get that. Um, fired listen, up. when it comes to chili, when you think skyline, you have to change or lower your expectations. It's not traditional <laughs> chili. It's totally not chili. People think, oh, that's terrible chili. Well, actually, it's not chili. It's something else you can eat besides chili. <laughs> so stop hating on skyline chili. I will eat two plates of that stuff. All all I know is that uh, I will be rushing to get flights that land early, early, early Friday morning, uh, both for the Utah or the BYU trip and the Cincinnati trip to explore some new big 12 cities that we, we haven't been to yet. So, yeah, yep. uh, we may go in on a Thursday boys for the one and only time. Uh, that's one, right. One time, one go at it. This really weird big 12. Then we'll do the same thing the next year in the sec. Right. That'll be an all whole new world. Hashtag Aladdin. Uh, on that one. <laughs> All right, we'll wrap up uh, this segment. We'll come back. Feels good to have a schedule. I'm going to look forward to it a lot. I imagine Arkansas State is going to be the ESPN Plus game right out of the gate, the opener. Um, I can't imagine SMU would be. I would think a network would want that. And then, obviously, at Tulsa is on the road. So, 
I think we're going to have the ESPN Plus game right out of the gate. So get it, rip the Band-Aid off uh, for fans there. And uh, it should be fun. I look forward to it. There's, there's some fun. Buy that 30-day trial, that free 30-day trial, and then you're done. If, you, if you're going to watch any softball or baseball or whatever, you're going to already have it. Because like yeah. 90% of their games are going to be on there. So just keep it. Just keep it. It's worth it. Keep it. That Kansas State Kansas basketball game was on there yesterday. ESPN has no problem putting big games on there. So just keep it. It's worth it. All right. We'll wrap up. Come back. Recruiting stuff. Oklahoma has made some additions. Today actually is signing day. Doesn't feel like it because the first signing day is <laughs> the real signing day is now December. But they did make a, a signee today. We'll talk about that as long as some other preferred walk-ons that they've added in the last week or so. Also look at the NFL a little bit. Bunch of OU guys at the Super Bowl. We'll break that down as well. Next up, you're on the All Sooners podcast. All right, you guys have heard me talk about this before. I'll talk about it again. Our friends at Trade Pros developed the All-Star Service Program for homeowners and business owners that demand the absolute best from their HVAC systems. Sign up now for the All-Star Service Agreement. 25 bucks a month, and the guys at Trade Pros are going to come out two times a year for routine maintenance. Plus, you get two pounds of Freon every year at no charge. And get this, if your heating or air unit needs work, it's not going to cost you anything if the repair is under $500. If it's more than $500, your cost comes in at just 25% of the Trade Pro's price. Routine maintenance includes changing and cleaning the air filters, carbon monoxide check, thermostat check, safety switches, inspect pilot assembly, check fan motor, refrigerant check charge, all kinds of stuff. Listen, just call Trade Pro's 405 639 9991 or check out their website tradeprosokc.com on twitter you can follow all sooners at all underscore sooners ryan's at underscore ryan chapman who's at john e hoover i'm at josh m calloway website is all sooners.com we are a fan nation affiliate part of the sports illustrated network all right Segment two here on this episode 172. Oklahoma has been busy in on the recruiting trail as of late. Very busy. They've sent out a ton of offers in the state of Oklahoma. They've also added a bunch of guys. We'll dive into that right here now. We'll start with the one guy who is a scholarship signee today. Um, like we mentioned before the break there, today is signing day. Doesn't feel like it because the December signing day has essentially just replaced the February one as the real signing day. But they did make an addition to their recruiting class today, officially, with Taylor Heim from Bethany High School. Um, I've had the pleasure to actually call him a couple times uh, doing high school games for my other job. He does, or he did, absolutely everything for Bethany. I I was hesitant to even say what position he was. Listed as a linebacker, um, but he he did everything. I mean, he, he caught passes. They would let him throw passes. Uh, he would run the ball. He did play defense, obviously. I mean, he was just out there. He was just a football player guy for, for Bethany. So I wasn't even really sure like what his actual position was because he was just out there all the time. But he is listed as a linebacker, three-star, according to 247 Sports, number 12 player in Oklahoma by their ra- uh, rankings. So we'll see how he works out. I mean, these local kids, Oklahoma has made an effort to continue to add locally. And we already had this one. So if you guys remember when Eric McCarty was added, in the last cycle of kind of like, oh, well, is this cycle, I guess, but it felt so long ago. But it was kind of a, see, walk on, what position does he play? And then he, no, he's a scholarship player. Okay, he can actually play. I think that's kind of a similar thing going on with Jaime here. I think he's, you know, we'll, we'll get to talk to Brent about him eventually, but it's an interesting addition. I, he's, a, he's a good football player, so we'll see how it pans out. Yeah, real good football player. Um, 
I think he's going to play all 11 positions on offense and all 11 positions on defense. He's capable. He's everywhere. He plays literally anything and everything that you want him to play. Uh, 6'4", 190, maybe 6'3", 195. He'll probably project to about 210, 215 uh, once he gets that extra weight on him, that good college weight on him. The good college weight, not the bad college weight. Uh, and I would think that that projects to kind of an outside linebacker, maybe an edge rusher. Um, he is unbelievably athletic state champ in the long jump state champ in the four by 100 state champ in the four by 200. And, uh, I think he also did triple jump. Uh, he plays basketball. He's good at basketball Threw for 2,300 yards as a quarterback ran for 1400 yards and six touchdowns. I think he had 52 total touchdowns on offense. But uh, he projects defensively, uh, where he was like the district player of the year, the little little city all player of the year, and all that kind of stuff. Um, mm. The kid can play football. He's a great get. And like I said, local, local, local. You want those guys on your team. Yeah, for sure. And the thing that stuck out to me that you kind of mentioned there, who my man can run, right? He's he's He is everywhere, and he can play in space. So... That's kind of my big, okay, get Jerry Schmidt working with him. There's not a ton of pressure on him. He, he, he doesn't come in with that five-star pressure or anything like that, right, as far as, oh, where, where is he playing right now? So, like, I'm I'm confident that Jerry Schmidt will be able to look at him and, and figure out how much he wants that frame to carry. And then the coaching staff can take that information and say, okay, where do we want to slot him first? Where do we want to start building that base and just see what happens? That These are absolutely the kind of, if you're filling out your roster, all that stuff, you mentioned the local connections that never hurts or anything like that. And he's just a guy that between all of the sports that he plays, the, the work ethic, it looks like he has on the field. Like I can imagine that Brent Venables had to take one pass at this film and was like, wait, why hasn't he been offered yet? What, what, what did we yeah. missed something? Get on that. And so it'll be interesting to see how uh, that pans out for him at Oklahoma. Absolutely. Um, don't have a, a tape of him up there as we speak now, but pretty soon after you're listening to this, we'll have a highlight package of him on allsters.com. Recommend you check it out because, like I said, um, I got to see him a couple times in high school, and he was – I didn't even really – I didn't know what his natural position was because he's just out there for every single snap, catching the ball, running the ball, throwing the ball, playing defense, making plays on the ball, tackling – you know, making plays in the secondary, tackling guys in the backfield. He just everywhere. You say his name – constantly so interested to see what he can look like at the next level and uh, if he sticks with defense because that's certainly an option for him to do whatever they need uh you know down the road now i mentioned they've been really busy they sent out a ton of offers in the last week or so a lot of them locally i think like the entire carl albert roster almost got an offer the other day which is not a bad program to check out at all but they did add um several commitments in the last week or so these are all preferred walk-ons but we'll, we'll run through them real quick and you guys can talk about if there's one in particular that jumps off the page to you guys. C.J. Compton, he's an offensive lineman from Bethel. so another in-state guy. Reed DeQuazy from Carl Albert plays both offensive and defense. I'd imagine he played defense, um, but I don't know that for sure. From Carl Albert, Drew Bat is an offensive lineman. Great name. From Turpin, Oklahoma. And then one guy outside the state, Eli Merck, is a wide receiver from South Carolina. So Oklahoma's made a lot of additions here, kind of supplementing the roster. Is there any of these guys in particular that jump out to you guys as, you know, obviously Gavin Freeman was a preferred walk-on last year, made an impact. Is there anybody who you think could maybe do the same uh, in particular from this group? Yeah, great, 
point on Freeman because he made a uh, an impact, a positive impact, a spectacular impact from the very first game of the year. Right. Um, scored a touchdown on his first touch as a Sooner. So uh, if you're able to get local guys like that, right, and, you know, you lock in their coaches, their high school coaches, you lock in their community, you lock in their families, just it's so big for building and establishing and laying a foundation for the program. Um, so you would think that some of those guys have the opportunity to do that. That is interesting. Six foot eight. He's 250 pounds. And he played eight man football. How does that translate? I don't know, but he's six foot eight, 250 pounds, put 35, 40 pounds on him and see what he can do. He played like, um, like Taylor Heim. He played kind of every position. He played inside lineman, outside lineman. Uh, he played center some, uh, he plays uh, edge rusher. He just does what he wants to imagine it's eight man football. So literally he does what he wants to, but I wouldn't say he was like a major priority for them, but a six foot eight, 250 pound body walks into your office and says, coach, I'd like to walk onto your fall to your football team. You better listen to him or at least look at his tape. They did. They saw how disruptive he was and uh, you know, welcome to Oklahoma. Right. Um, DeQuazy is interesting. If only for the name, a lot of people have already commented on him mm. and his family. Hey, Brent DeQuazy was one of my favorite players back in the nineties, played for all those bad you know, Gary Gibbs and Schnellenberger teams. Um, that's his uncle. Brent DeQuazy is his uncle. Reed DeQuazy is a talent, multi-talented, kind of a multi-tool guy. Plays multiple positions. Uh, ran the football, threw the football, had a bunch of tackles on defense. He also caught a bunch of passes. He can do a lot of stuff. So, And, and he's got that hashtag OUDNA, right, that they love. Um, he's one of those kids that's going to come in there and start telling stories. of what. Here's what my dad told me. Here's what my uncle told me. Uh, these, that's, that's, that can only help when you're trying to do what Brent Venables is doing and that's build that foundation and lay that kind of establish that kind of mentality, change that culture. Yeah. You, you hit on a crazy who, who was the one that I was interested in, if nothing else for all the connections, the, the legacy there. Uh, you think Porter Moser could use bat if, if he doesn't work out <laughs> yes. for uh, not anymore, I guess not anymore. The, the basketball program is back up and running fully forced, but yeah, yeah. It, it's so hard to, project some of these preferred walk-ons because like the situation has to be right you've got to have a spot like freeman did where wide receiver is kind of thin a little bit to, to come in and, and be that guy so i'm just gonna bet on on the measurables of bad if, if we're picking one <clears throat> yeah look forward to seeing how uh one of the odds are one of these guys is going to pop up and make a play <clears throat> at, at some point you know in the season or, or whatever and uh reed quasi a good basketball player too at carl Albert. so Kind of just goes to speak to his kind of like, uh, what who was saying, versatile and uh, an athlete. So we'll see how that shakes out. Yeah, I like seeing how the Oklahoma kids get chances at OU. That that's something that I would like to see the basketball team do more of, quite frankly. And uh, we'll get to basketball later. But there's good play. High school sports Oklahoma are good. Just go to the good programs, find the players that the coaches like. You're going to find diamonds in the rough often, and I, I I like that this this staff is making a better effort to do that. Yeah, and I'll I'll also add um, the wide receiver Merck from South Carolina set some school records at his high school in Central South Carolina. Um, I don't know, you know, you look at his film and he's obviously a ball player. He he gets the football in his hands, he makes plays, he's explosive. But six two one eighty, um, you got guys like that who are willing to walk on from halfway across the country. I say it's a great idea. He's uh, he's a guy that's got yeah. three thousand yards receiving. Over 170 catches, almost 50 touchdowns. So, um, very productive, very athletic, very explosive. Could be the next Gavin Freeman. Who knows? 
Absolutely. So you add this group to the group of Bixby guys that they've added recently. And, you know, you, you've got to, again, like I said, one of these guys is going to pop up at least uh, and make something happen at some point. So keep an eye out for that. They're coming up here very, very shortly in spring and obviously so on. Moving up to the NFL, Super Bowl 57 is set. We have a slew of former Oklahoma players playing in this game. Eight former Sooners are active in the game. Eight. Now, two of them technically don't count on alumni numbers because they finished their career elsewhere. Grant Capitera at SMU and, of course, Trey Sermon, who finished at Ohio State. They're both on the Eagles. But even if you remove them, they still have six, which is still the most of any team in the country uh, in the Super Bowl, which is nuts. Jalen Hurts, obviously, Lane Johnson, Orlando Brown, Creed Humphrey, James Winchester, Blake Bell. And that does not include Tyrese Robinson, who's on the Eagles practice squad, or Kenny Brooks, who's on the, he has like a reserve future contract with the Eagles. He's not on the current roster. He was, it's a weird deal. I don't try to understand it all. But basically, long story short, 10 total guys are trying to get a ring here in Super Bowl 57, which is crazy, crazy for Oklahoma. I mean, what a recruiting tool that is. Yeah, huge. Um, 53-man roster, right? So that's 106 guys. Essentially, you're saying almost 10%. Almost 10% yeah. of the Super Bowl teams <laughs> are consisting of Oklahoma Sooners or former Sooners. It's unbelievable. Yeah, and it's not just that, too. We talked about this last week, but the thing that remains impressive is it's not like a, hey, so-and-so's the backup to the backup at linebacker and he's right. the, the 53rd yeah. man act like no Jalen Hurts and Lane Johnson and Orlando Brown and Creed Humphrey are going to be essential in deciding who wins this football game between what uh, the Chiefs and the Eagles like to do so like they are playing key roles in whoever wins the Super Bowl it, it's not just one of those hey You've got a, a guy that was a punt returner, and that's the only time he plays. Like, no, this game's going to be not just heavily participated with Oklahoma alums, but it's going to be shaped by Oklahoma former Oklahoma players. Yeah, and how about Jalen Hurts? I mean, we said we've said that what fifteen times this year during the football season. Yeah. How about Jalen Hurts? Unbelievable! First Sooner quarterback in the Super Bowl. First. However you want to qualify Troy Aikman, first Sooner who went from Oklahoma to the NFL, yeah. right, and then became a starting quarterback in the Super Bowl. It's unbelievable. Of all the guys that they've put out, Jalen Hurts is the one that's going to the Super Bowl. That's mind-blowing. Um, I remember in 2010 when Sam came out, I was at the draft. I was in New York City, and I had a bunch of writers, a bunch of national writers and New York writers, and they were all coming up to me going, hey, is Sam really – the first quarterback to be drafted out of Oklahoma. And I go, I said, yeah, I think there's been some guys drafted who played option quarterback who went into the league and played wide receiver or defensive back. Right. But yeah, in terms of just the first quarterback drafted from Oklahoma. Yes. And that was just 13 years ago. Now guys, uh, here we are with um, the, the league is populated with sooner quarterbacks and uh, including the one that one of the ones that's going to the Super Bowl. It's unbelievable. Well, after how Philly celebrated that, the real question is going to be who can claim Jalen Hurts now, Alabama, Oklahoma, or the Syracuse basketball program? Syracuse basketball. The the Eagles made like a trip to watch Syracuse play on like oh, yes. Monday night. I was like, well, this is very random. I think That's after right. what happened on the ba- at Lloyd Noble Center, OU gets to claim uh, Jalen Hurts for the foreseeable future. Uh, for yeah, now. probably so. Yeah. 
the also, Jalen Hurts thing, it is amazing because it's just you look at Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Tua Tagovailoa, and Mac Jones, the two guys who followed him in Alabama, the two guys who preceded him at OU. He's the best one by a lot. It's kind of insane because right uh, now he is. Yeah, he's got the he best considered he's got the best talent around him, and he's got the best team. Sure, he's on the best team, but he's playing the best. He's got his team in the Super Bowl. I mean, he was considered a step down from those guys for OU. For Alabama, he they moved on from him to get to Tua, and you you look at what he's doing. It's it makes borderline no sense. The guy had no NFL future really at all before he came to yeah. OU, and even after that year at OU, he was considered. I mean, when they took him in the second round, that was looked at as a reach. Right. Most people thought that was a big reach, and he's he's playing incredibly well. He's in the Super Bowl and got a good chance to win it. Uh, amazing. I like what Joel Klatt said about him this week. He had to, you can claim him if you're Oklahoma, you can claim him if you're Alabama, but the fact of the matter is he had to leave Alabama. He was, he had been replaced and had to leave Alabama to get to where he is now. He couldn't have gone straight from Alabama as to his backup to starting in the Super Bowl three years later, right? He couldn't have, there's no way, there's no chance. He had to go and spend that year at Oklahoma learning from Lincoln Riley and uh, improving his draft stock to the point where he got drafted and the Eagles quarterback situation was bad enough that they threw an untested rookie in, you know, two thirds of the way through his rookie season. And he's been great ever since that, all that stuff had to transpire. I love the fact that you got guys like Joel Klatt saying, Alabama, you've got enough players. You don't need to claim. (laughs) I told you last week, I think it's idiotic for Alabama or for anybody to say Alabama can't claim him. He signed with Alabama. He played three years for Nick Saban. He was an unbelievable impact player early in his career, first three years of his career. Uh, Alabama abs, and he graduated from Alabama. Alabama absolutely gets to tra- gets to claim him, but so does Oklahoma because that one year, man, it was spectacular, unbelievable. The numbers. Go back and look at the numbers that he put up and the records that he set that year. It's just unbelievable. But. He still had that red spat tape on his ankles uh, that didn't match the crimson of the uniforms against Houston. So I, I know that that will. Uh, well, we talked about that was a Sunday home game. We talked about Friday home games earlier. Trying to remember that uh, that was a Sunday home game for for the Sooners. Different different circumstances, but how uh, strange. I think the red spat worked. Why not? He you're doing something different. Why not? I just remember coming out of that and. Uh, having a certain segment of the fan base being upset about that. And I was like, look, if that if that's what people are mad about, you're in a good spot. If the if the conversation driver on a Monday is yeah. what color tape you, you're taping your ankles with, then there, there's not been a lot that went wrong for you in that Houston game. People people have revisionist history, man. When he left Alabama, I mean, the, the, the joke in the book on him was, this is a running back playing quarterback. He can't yep. throw. And it, it's, it's come a long way. So who you got? Who you got? You got you guys got the Eagles and the and uh, Hertz Lane Calcaterra yeah. Sermon, or you got the Chiefs with Orlando Creed Winchester and and Mister Blake Bell. We still got a week to think about it, but yeah, the question is which <laughs> former OU quarterback is going to uh, lead his team to victory? Is it Jalen Hurts or is it Blake Bell? Right. Clearly, uh, I don't need a week. It, if you guys have ever wondered what that is, it's because I support Raiders and Pirates left, right, and center right there. And so I will not be throwing my lot in with the goons from Kansas City. Yeah, the Absolutely. hate. Uh, I'm, I've talked to Marty Schottenheimer one time. I interviewed him for about a half hour in his office. The hate that exists between these two franchises is not fake. <laughs> Correct. All Eagles, yeah. all Eagles then uh, yeah. for Ryan. Yeah, it should be a fun game. I think the Eagles are the best team. 
Uh, we'll see. But you they know, have if a, the they Eagles win, though, Ryan, if the Eagles win, you're going to have to put up with 365 days of Chisholm. Look, is that worth it to you? Look, so in the preseason, as a joke, I told him just flat out, like, the Eagles are winning the Super Bowl. You're just going to have to get with it, and you're going to have to retire a Jalen Hurts jersey in your living room. And he was mad because he thought I'd been cursing them the whole way. And who's the idiot now? Me is the joke backing his way into maybe the Super Bowl champion. I'll take it. The thing is, I think the Eagles are a better team, but Mahomes is just a different dude. So he's a hard one to bet against ever. So uh should be a fun game. Look forward to that in a couple of weeks. Crazy. Jalen, the first OU quarterback to take his team to the Super Bowl. Because Troy Aikman does knock out. Um, so nuts. Really is nuts. I wanna I wanna do a what if. I wanna sure. do a what if. What if Troy Aikman doesn't break his leg against Miami? Stays at OU, wins the national championship, comes back the next year, probably does something really great again, right? And goes to the NFL. Where does the wishbone go in the 80s? You know, that national championship would have belonged to Troy Aikman and that defense. Uh, The defense, let's not forget, we talked about the wishbone and Jamel Holloway, but that defense was unbelievable. So, uh, where do, how do we view the Oklahoma, the end of the Barry Switzer era? transitioning away from the wishbone into the passing offense of the, of the late eighties, early nineties. And, and you know, everybody around here is claiming Troy Aikman, no matter where he went to college, <laughs> if that's the case, if he goes and wins that national championship in 85, all he did was break his leg. People stop hating on Troy Aikman. Yeah. Th- that's always so fascinating. Cause it's like when we had this conversation, so like Joe Burrow gets brought up cause he's similar. Joe Burrow never won the starting job at Ohio state then transferred, then had the meh here at LSU before really turning it on. Troy Aikman won the starting job through no fault of his own because Miami came through and and did that to him. And then, like, I'm sorry, if you win a national championship, you're not going to change it, right? So, like, it's not Troy Aikman's fault that uh, he ended up at UCLA Bruin. I I totally get if anyone's just, like, can't claim Troy Aikman at all. It's just that one of all is, like, Jalen Hurts, it's very easy for me. OU and Alabama both get to claim him. Joe Burrow, very easy for me. Sorry, Ohio State, you didn't start him. That's an LSU thing. Trey, man, I'm just like, hey, whatever you want to do, I'm probably cool with it because it, 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 that one is truly complicated. <laughs> he was, I'm just making these numbers up in the back of my head from 30 years of memory, but he was something like six of six for 140 yards passing and had like 40 yards rushing in the first quarter, man. He was sticing those, those dudes up. At Miami, and then he breaks his leg. Thanks, Jerome Brown. Appreciate you. Uh, that obviously got uh, Jamel Holloway off the bench. What was Jamel Holloway doing there anyway? Best option quarterback in the country out of Compton, California. And here's Troy Aikman in front of him. 6'4", 220-pound Troy Aikman, and, and the option quarterback comes to Norman, Oklahoma. That never made sense to me. He was the perfect guy at the perfect time. Well, I think Holloway is probably like, what's a Henrietta? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> The whole uh, space-time continuum goes off the rails uh, if, uh, if if Troy Aikman doesn't get hurt. It's like I've watched Back to the Future enough times to know that the butterfly <laughs> effect of that would uh, – we may be – this may be the, the all-Hawkeyes podcast or something <laughs> that, that had happened. The whole world is different. The whole planet. Bob Stoops probably doesn't ever even code. Like it, it all – just the ripple effect. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It uh, it is a fun. It is fun to play around with. But uh, long story short, oh, you guys are winning the Super Bowl one way or another, and we'll look forward to that in a couple of weeks. Uh, and we get to turn to the page of the XFL. 
and old Bob Stoops and how that's to, how that's going to go. There's a lot of OU guys in the XFL, uh, so we'll, we'll, we'll peek in on that from time to time after the NFL's over. All right, uh, we'll wrap up this segment. We'll come back. Other sports to get to. Basketball we referenced earlier. Holy moly. Molly whopping Alabama out of nowhere. We'll talk about that as well as the women's basketball team, what they've been doing, Taylor Robinson, record breaker. And we'll wrap up with some other sports as well on the way out next up here on the All Sinners Podcast. Hey, are you a business owner looking to get your product out there to the masses? Let's say you run a hotel in Norman or a car dealership in Oklahoma City or a restaurant in Edmond. Or maybe you're a small online business who creates and sells OU merchandise and you just want Sooner Nation to come sample your wares. Well, then consider advertising in this space right here on the SI Sooners Podcast. SI Sooners reaches thousands of readers, viewers, and listeners literally every day. And the SI Sooners podcast is the ideal place to find your next customer. To advertise, send an email to allsoonerssi at gmail.com or DM us on Twitter at all underscore Sooners. Final segment of the All Sooners podcast, episode 172. Send you on your merry way here to get through some last few things. Let's start with men's hoops. What a difference a week can make. Uh, last week on this show, we sat here and uh, we laid it all out there because they had just gotten crushed by TCU. They looked like they had given up, and we basically we basically were like, man, this this season put a fork in them. Um, you know, Porter Moser, what's the job security level? They turned around and played the best game that they've played under Porter. They crushed number two Alabama on Saturday. They beat them 93 to 69, and it wasn't even that close. It was it was worse than 24 points. If it wasn't just for the fact that it's OU versus Alabama, we would have all said this game's over 10 minutes in. But because of the teams, we held on to uh, believe it when when it's actually zeros on the clock. Oklahoma dominated. Grant Sherfield played fantastic, a 30-piece. Jalen Hill continues his great season. Tanner Groves had his best game probably the, of the year. Um, what a performance. I mean, can you? what can you say? I mean, the fact that number two Bama walked in there and left just getting smacked around, it, it still doesn't feel like I, – I still look back at it and think, like, I can't believe that that, that happened. It was uh, an unbelievable performance. It all came together. I mean, it was it was borderline perfect. This Oklahoma team is driving people, driving fans to pull their hair out. You you lose close games to great teams like Kansas and Baylor, and mm-hmm. then you get blown Texas. out by bad teams like Oklahoma State. And you know TCU is not a bad team, but you you're getting blown out, you know, by TCU. And and nobody knows what to make. And and at some point, I think Porter said uh, the TCU game was the first game that we haven't competed, uh, the first game that we didn't respond, stuff like that. There's no hope for this basketball team against the number two team in the country coming into your gym. And what happens? The impossible happens. They come out and they just lay the wood to Alabama. Who saw that coming? I guess the Oklahoma basketball team did because nobody else did. Yeah, I mean, when, when you put it in perspective, it was Oklahoma as a program, their first win over a top two team since OU toppled number one Kansas in the Big 12 tournament in 2002. It was, uh, I believe CBS Sports put this out there, the largest margin of victory for an unranked team over a top five team in the history of, or top two uh, in the history of the poll that goes back to like 48 or or 50, basically. That shows you the magnitude of of what happened in the Lloyd Noble Center. And, And yeah, I mean, 
Sherfield firing early. Jalen Hill, who had the drew the assignment of like he's going to be a lottery pick, probably a top five pick in Brandon Miller from Alabama. He held him to four of 14, or as a team Oklahoma did, that was a lot of Jalen Hill on top of the 26 points on the other end. But for me, the thing that stuck out is, oh, you played with pace. Like it wasn't, uh, oh my gosh, the, it, just absolutely full throttle. They still got into their half court sets, all that stuff. But I, I know that one of their things they wanted to do is not let Alabama clamp down and defend for 25 seconds. Uh, guys, there are a lot of good defenses in the Big 12. Why don't you do that for all of your schools in the Big 12? Like you don't have to, when we say pace, you don't have to put up 90 shots a game. But Sherfield looked comfortable immediately. And in the first half, you had threes from Sherfield, Hill, Cortez, Uzon. Like, I don't think it's any coincidence that the entire offense looked settled. And, and then they were at a point where you didn't have to worry about everything getting stagnant in the last three minutes because you were just killing out the clock. So that was a really yeah. impressive performance. Jalen Hill defensively, Tanner Groves as well, got it figured out, had three blocks. So it's big for them rolling into Wednesday night. Bedlam, but you know it's it's twelve fourteen p.m. on Wednesday right now. We're recording this. Oklahoma State's in the bottom four of the Big Twelve. You have to have to have to win all those games at home. No excuses. I don't care if you got blown out in the second half in Stillwater. If you want to be a tournament team, if you want to take this momentum and try and seize it, you got to win tonight by any means necessary. You just have to. It's you know credit where it's due too. I mean, you got to give a lot of credit to Porter just getting the guys revved up to, to play because that, that's something that's been consistent we talked about that last week they've never given up under him um they've always played really hard that's never been the issue the issue has been just the team not being good enough but the they've always played really hard and they've battled and they scrap and they bounce back from tough loss after tough loss after tough loss but they got blown out at tcu like we we're just saying didn't really show up in that game bama coming in we all kind of thought they might just not even be into this and they were they were dialed in the crowd was awesome it was packed in there First court storm for me. I've never been to a, a court. That's a, that's a first one. Plenty of field storms. We've had our we've had more than enough experience with that in the last couple of years. We've had like ten. But first court storm, it was it was great. I mean, it was it was one of those games where it just it it the stars aligned and it was it all came together offensively, defensively. The crowd. It was just one of those kind of perfect games. And reporter talked about it. Ryan, you wrote about it that this was the vision. This is what he hoped for. Yeah, I mean, that, that's exactly what you hope for. That That's the dream scenario. So now you have Bedlam tonight, like Ryan said. The first game in Stillwater was just a couple of weeks ago. Didn't go well. You let it half. OSU blitzed him in the second half. They got almost like single-digit stops in the second half. OSU tripled their score, basically, just in the final 20 minutes. Now you got to bounce back. Like Ryan said, it's a must-win. OSU's not, you know, they're not a bad team, I wouldn't really say, but they're, by Big 12 standards, they're beatable, especially at home. Huge game tonight, Bedlam. Ryan and I will be there. We'll see what happens. This is a, a, a monster game, though. Josh, you said it was your first court storm. That's the thing that's going to stand out to me about this was the the scene, the mob scene on the, on the court after the Alabama game. Because I've been watching Oklahoma football since the early 80s, and I – I may be, I'm sure I'm wrong about this, but in my head, I'm, I'm looking for that little scrap. I'm looking for that little memory of, oh yeah, I remember when I, I don't ever remember this happening. Number one, the team has been either too good for you to court storm, right? Or not good enough to win those games, right? Or the third option, the fan base is so apathetic about what's going on on the basketball floor. They don't care to storm the court. So all those three things yeah. together where great teams don't storm the court. 
bad teams don't storm the court because they don't win and the fans don't care enough about the basketball team. All those three things together, I think that was the first time in my memory that I've ever seen that at OU. Yeah, I, I remember when Trey's team beat Kansas with a little Hakabuki for, for Azabuki. Like the students that are on the floor, there's like that small segment of students that are on the floor and then everybody else in the stands. I remember those like 20 students coming out onto the floor to celebrate, <laughs> but it it was not a like this was you had students who had gone around to the other end of the floor by the tunnel where they could flood in from both sides and kind of circumnavigate the event staff. Like it, that was a legitimate like court storming. It's a scene that we've only seen in football, uh, in Waco, in Stillwater, this year in Lubbock, where a freaking service oh, dog was on the field. I will, I will, I will never forget the service dog who stormed the field in Lubbock. Uh, the OU student <laughs> section did not have a service dog on the court at the Lloyd Noble Center. So step it up, guys. Next time, bring your dogs. I want to say I could be misremembering. Didn't they storm the court against Kansas with Buddy one time when Buddy tipped it in at the buzzer? I think that might have been a, a court storm situation uh, pre Final Four. So like fifteen Maybe, or fourteen. I, um, I think that was more. I mean, it's a big deal to beat Kansas, but I think that was almost more of a just spur of the moment because it was a buzzer-beating tip-in, like ah, and run out there. Um, but yeah, it was it was it was different, and uh, we'll see how it looks tonight. Um, the funny, the, the cherry on top of the whole Alabama thing, uh, which is going to be a game that I think we'll probably remember for a long time. And those guys, no matter what happens the rest of the season, Jalen Hill and those guys, they'll remember that. That was an all-time game. Um, but the cherry on top of the whole Alabama thing, did you guys see what they did last night to Vanderbilt? <laughs> yes. They bounced back. First game after after losing OU, and Nate Oates was, was mad in that postgame. They beat Vanderbilt last night 101-44. to 44. That is called taking out some aggression. OU owes Vanderbilt an apology. That's their fault that that happened. Absolute slaughter. That's a message to the selection committee, isn't it? Well, I, yeah. Well, the funny thing is you mentioned Nate Oates. I, another takeaway that I – just didn't write about because it was not important for, for what we had kind of saw was a lot of times when we think, you know, the, the big 12 big East challenge thing, the big 12 sec challenge ESPN, it's a made for TV thing. And for the big 12, it doesn't really matter because if you go 500 big 12 play, you're a lock for the tournament. But Nate Oates was on edge and he was really upset with how his team played. Cause he was like, look guys, the sec big 12 challenge is, incredibly important for the sec because if they go and have a strong showing that was going to be something they were including all their media stuff the rest of the way to try and bolster the seeds of everyone in the conference so that was a game that the alabama players didn't maybe look as prepared for but like nate oates had a huge edge about him that he was like i tried to tell him i tried to tell him i tried to tell him this is a good basketball team they play in the big 12 that leash is different and so it, it wasn't like a Nate Oates and Alabama were overlooking. Like, Nate Oates has hung another L in the Lloyd Noble Center. He remembers that place. Yeah. No, they, they two years ago. Yeah, like you're saying, they came and, and left with a with a big loss. Hat tip to Ben Coligelli, because this is just amazing. Oklahoma, 12-2 and two in their last 14 games against the SEC. 12-2. and two. That's, that's, that's like not coincidental number. That's you are good against the SEC. And some SEC teams, they had no business beating. Like like Alabama this time, Arkansas last year in Tulsa, uh, among others. Well, um, the, the only two losses amazing. are to number one Auburn last year and yeah, to Arkansas, Arkansas this year. Yeah. Pretty amazing. 
Think about that. This is a school that's transitioning into the the SEC, right? Really? Are they? Look at their recent numbers against in football against the SEC. Look at their recent numbers in basketball. Uh, baseball, you might as well throw that out there too, right? Skip, mm-hmm. shout out. Uh, and softball, yes. the big four. And uh, the, the for that matter, women's gymnastics goes into LSU and, and beats LSU. This is uh, It makes you wonder as they transition to the SEC and everybody's saying how tough it's going to be. Is it really? It's going to be good for basketball. Um, getting out of the meat grind of the Big 12 and go to the SEC where there's big games, but there's also way more winnable games, it's going to be good for the Big 12 uh, or for uh, Oklahoma in due time. So, yeah, great win there. We'll see what they do tonight at Bedlam. Ryan will be there, all the coverage. Red Panda? Red, Red Panda, Panda will be there. Now, I saw Red Panda at the peak earlier this season for a Thunder game, and she dropped the bowls. Oh, so no. She owes it to me. Yeah, she owes, she owes a bounce back to me. So, we'll see. Big bounce back see. spot from Red Panda as well. We will... <laughs> about 9 p.m. at Josh M. Calloway at underscore Ryan Chapman, wall to wall on Twitter. We will have the red panda yeah. coverage you see. I usually go in at halftime and get something to drink, use the bathroom, but I, I got to stay out there, I guess, and uh, and and shoot red panda, video red panda. You, yeah, you owe it to red panda. Yeah, I'm going to step up. I always think this is such a stupid my brain thought. Do you think she gets sick of the song? It plays that same song every time she performs, which is basically every night like 350 days a year. It's that same song. She probably oh, doesn't she, hear it. She made the lock in and not even hear it. I could see that. I could see that. She's a legend. That much we know. But yeah, she dropped the bulls. So I need a bounce back. Let's get a bounce back. Um, shifting over to the women. They lost on Saturday to Iowa State in Ames. That was two losses in a row. They lost to Texas as well last week. Um, so a couple of rough games in a row too on the road. Now Taylor Robertson did break the record. We'll talk about that in just a second. Two straight losses. They bounced back. They they beat TCU last night, who we, we we talked about before. They stink. Worst team in the Big 12. Kind of a get-right game, you hope, for Oklahoma's sake. What do you make of them before we get to the record? What do you make of that team? Are, are, how legitimate of a con, you know, contender to make a deep run are they? Because they have spurts where I'm thinking, okay, for sure, this team is legit. Uh, several good wins in a row. But then back-to-back losses to good teams. But back-to-back losses, and you're kind of wondering, okay, maybe they're not as good as we thought. Where, where are you at right now? What's your temperature on, on that team right now? I was a little concerned the way the Texas game went. They ended up losing by 20. Um, and Taylor hit the t- two threes in the first quarter, and then she got like two looks the rest of the game. <clears throat> like her teammates were not screening for her. They were not moving uh, moving to get her the, ba- the basketball in shooting position, okay? And that, I, something something clicked in a bad way for Oklahoma that game. First of all, Texas was red hot, but something clicked. You could tell there was something going on. I don't know if they've reached a point in the season where they're tired or, you know, first of two straight road games and their legs aren't under there. Yeah, I don't know. But something mm. went wrong against the Texas uh, in te- at Texas. And then they come back. Their next game is at Iowa State. That's like the perfect storm if you're the opponent is facing Oklahoma needing to win and you know Iowa State's really good. So you put those two factors together. Uh they come home against TCU who are they winless in conference play? Yeah. Like 0 and 11 in Pretty conference sure. play something yeah. like that. Brutal, but Oklahoma jumped out quickly, um did what they had to do, established their style of play. I like Oklahoma to make a deep run if they don't have to face some 6-5 post monster who just eats them alive in the middle. Um <laughs> Because Oklahoma plays with good pace, good tempo, they share the basketballs. Looking up last night, they they beat, they won the game one hundred one to seventy eight. They had nineteen assists. Like six different players had at least three or four assists. It's like what? 
yeah, everybody shares the basketball and everybody's yeah. making shots. So <clears throat> I like Oklahoma to make a deep run. Uh, they need to figure out whatever that was, whatever phenomenon that was that derailed them at Texas. They need to make sure that never happens again. Cause that was ugly basketball. Yeah. I, concern maybe isn't the right word, but I just think it's an interesting trend line maybe to follow when it comes to Oklahoma playing big time NCAA tournament basketball last year. In the regular season, the Sooners swept Baylor. Huge accomplishment, but that was kind of the outlier. Because remember when they swept Baylor, it suddenly became a, oh my God, can OU win the Big 12 Conference outright? And what happened? They weren't able to get it done against Texas. They lost in Ames, the other really good teams in the conference. And OU kind of fell back to the really good, but not actually going to lock down the one seed. Then you get to Kansas City. And Kansas, who is a much better, much improved program, Oklahoma beats them and then just gets wiped by Baylor. You get to the NCAA tournament, the first real team they play, Notre Dame. I I think everyone would prefer us not talk about how that went. This year, Utah, really good. I know it was the second night of a back-to-back, and Utah wasn't on the second night of a back-to-back. Awful scheduling circumstances. But I was run off the floor. Baylor comes into Norman. You lose that game. You get behind early. It wasn't close. You have to battle back to beat still a fine Kansas team, but not an elite Kansas team. You have to battle back to beat a fine Oklahoma State team, but not an elite Oklahoma State team. Lost on the road to Texas. Lost on the road to Iowa State. You beat Iowa State at home, but that took that went down to the wire, and they lost Suarez in that game. So that was an Iowa State team that was kind of a little shell-shocked as they lost a key piece at center I just worry that if things don't go well in the first half for the Sooners, their solution is to shoot their way out of it. And we've seen that that can provide some really fun comebacks, but against the really, really, really good teams in college basketball, usually they put the clamps down. And so that's the key for Oklahoma is when they get into these big time games, they have to have good first halves because I think you saw it against Notre Dame last year. I think you've seen it against Texas and Iowa State and Baylor this year. The good teams don't let Oklahoma back into the game. It's going to be an interesting finish of the season because, like we've said many times, uh, you want to get that top four seed. You want to be at home if you can uh, in the NCAA tournament. They're right on that border uh, right now. So we'll see what they can do the rest of the way. Briefly mentioned it, but do want to make sure we acknowledge Taylor Robertson set the record most threes in a career. 500 freaking threes. That is so many shots from deep she's automatic she's made a three i think in like 60 something straight games um really cool she got she got the record in, in ames she got a chance to go meet steph curry it was a thunder game on monday that was a really cool thing they had a ceremony for her yesterday after the game they brought real life goats out which was quite the move um i mean this is this is one of those unfortunately for 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 taylor the first pretty good chunk of her career the team was just not winning so she didn't get a lot of attention then she is now you know um but one of the better oklahoma players that they've had period i mean you set this kind of record you put yourself into rare air like jersey retirement air down the road in my opinion i mean you set a record like this 500 plus threes uh what an accomplishment big time stuff yeah the uh, in terms of sports parlance and how we view records in in retrospect, uh, the home run is like the 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 top. You know, you get a slam dunk in basketball or a three pointer basketball. The home run is the home run. The home run goes over the fence and disappears. You never see it again. So to have the home run queen at your school is unbelievable. To have the home run queen and the three point queen 
at yeah. your school. What is going on in the OU athletics departments? What are they feeding these girls? That is uh, some amazing <laughs> stuff. Um, like Jocelyn Allo did in softball, she hit more home runs than Pete Incavilia or any other baseball player. Taylor Robertson has hit more three-pointers than Steph Curry or any other men's or women's basketball player. It's uh, it's phenomenal. It's been fun to watch. Um, she's got the record for most career threes, most times with five three-pointers in a game, four three-pointers in a game, I think three three-pointers in a game. Um, she's unbelievable. And that scene where she got to meet Steph, we had we got a video on that. If you guys want to watch it, allsooners.com, click on the women's basketball link. Um, where she's standing there at Chesapeake, I'm sorry, at uh, Paycom Center, uh, old habits die hard. Get it right. She's standing there at Paycom, and she's uh, watching him go through his pregame shooting, and he's launching bomb after bomb, and they're all going in, of course. Then he comes over and talks to her and tells her, you're going to throw it to him, he's going to skip it to me, and I'm going to hit a three and go to the locker room and work perfectly. Check that out. Little Short little video. And then, you know, they, I mean, they met, they hugged. They, he signed a jersey for her after the game. Mm-hmm. If you're Taylor Robertson right now, life is good. Yeah, I think that uh, was it. Maddie Williams who said that Taylor Robertson told her that this is like my next five birthdays and Christmases just to just to be able to have that. And I think too, I, Steph Curry. So he did an interview with the NBC affiliate back in San Francisco, whoever airs their games. And, and what he pointed out too is it's not just that she shoots threes and makes them. He's like. She's a 44% three-point shooter for her career. She's a 46% field goal for her career. He's like, I pride myself on being efficient as well as having range from everywhere. And she's kind of got that same thing about her. So to have that kind of praise from Steph Curry, uh, I think the whole rest of the year is gravy for Taylor Robertson after that experience. Pretty cool. So yeah, uh, check that out if you haven't seen it. Like who said, allsoons.com, and we'll see how many more she can add to that record because she's still got quite a runway here of uh, about 10, 10 plus games uh, to add to that number, which is sickly, uh, sickly. Um, wrapping up here, any other sports stuff you want to hit? Um, I, I will mention real quick that Big 12 uh, baseball poll came out. OU fifth in the preseason poll. I mentioned that last week. I was curious to see where they would land right smack dab in the middle, uh, which makes sense. Uh, they, they, are, they are replacing a lot. I will add also, did you guys see, if you haven't, you, you need to go watch it. It's great. Um, the video that OU Baseball put out of um, random players and Skip getting asked how to spell some of the names on the team. Yeah. <laughs> all-timer, all-timer, because Skip didn't even attempt Patrick Engskov. Um, <laughs> it's pretty funny. Good stuff. So I would check that video out. But, yeah, fifth in the preseason poll. Um, but that's about right. They can finish higher than that, certainly. But with all the uncertainty, all the players replaced, that it was un it was unlikely to me that they were going to get picked much higher than that by the other coaches. They're not in any preseason polls. They gotta go prove it. And I think they have a good team, you know, but uh it makes sense that they're not gonna be picked high with how many new faces there are because other places just don't know them that well. So that was something uh but anything else that stuck out to you guys. Yeah. Um, so if you're, if you're hanging on the edge of your seat to see where Oklahoma baseball was going to be rated, uh, in the preseason polls, fifth, sixth, seventh, whatever, I've got great news for you. You're probably hanging on the edge of your seat in regards to where the softball team is going to be rated. Guess what? They're number one in every poll, including the coaches poll. They're unanimous, unanimous. When's the last time that happened? Yeah, it, it's, uh, it's been a while for that Oklahoma, one of, I think Oklahoma and UCLA. 
I think those are the only two that have been in the top 25 of every single coaches poll since it started softball wise. So uh, no strangers to that. Uh, the, did you see guys see the uh, softball America first and second and third team all Americans as well? Uh, so if you're keeping track at home in softball, you have a designated player, right? So you have 10 starters, essentially. Oklahoma had 10 selections to the first team, uh, first, second, and third team All-Americans. They had five first team All-Americans, two second teamers, and three on the third team. Pretty good when uh, – now, two of those were Nicole May and Alex Straco, so it wasn't like a perfect – like Alyssa Brito was left off. Um, whoever's going to play in third and left field were left off. So it's not like perfect like-for-like like, entire starting lineup, but when you have 10 on the first, second, and third team, that's good. It's good. It's a good start. And three pitchers. Yeah, three pitchers. Seven Not position bad. players, three posi- three pitchers. Unbelievable. Not bad. Not bad. Can they Dang be better bad. than 59 and three, or does it matter as long as you win the national championship? I, honestly, I've, this is going to sound bad. They've got a really tough schedule. Uh, managing the distractions is going to be as difficult as the Big 12 outside of Oklahoma State, frankly. NIL. Because you, you've got. And I've seen, so this will be my third season covering the team with all Sooners, right? And just in terms of, it used to be, hey, I need this, this, or that. And there was like a one-day turnaround because it was like, yes, please cover it. And now it's like, let me crack open this massive media request schedule and see where I can fit you in. Like the volume on what they're doing off the field is way increased. Who have you mentioned? NIL, that got roped in last year, something they had to learn to manage, but I as good as they are, that's going to be even more. I, I think it'll almost be more impressive to be able to re- not just replace Jocelyn Isle, stuff like that, but to manage everything outside of the just actually playing going on. That, that's going to be a big storyline for Oklahoma, and people don't want to hear that, but it's just the reality of the situation. They're getting pulled a lot of different ways, yeah. ways that even Patty Gasso's like, over these last two years, this is so much different coming out of the pandemic than I've ever seen. It's great for the sport, but it's a huge adjustment for her and the entire team. Yeah, she. you're right. She's having to learn how to coach other things than just softball and a, and a roster full of athletes. She's having yeah. to learn how to coach uh, young women who have uh, NIL opportunities. And remember the thing last year, all the distractions that she talked about, she said we're operating at about a five or six out of on a, on a scale of 10. That was like two thirds of the way through the season that she said all that, right? So uh, what was it? She pulled back an hour of practice per week to, or uh, was it per week or per day? Uh, it was, an hour uh, it was per practice. Yeah. It was basically carving out a, a bit at the end of every practice to every practice. Hey, everyone's, everyone's got jobs of whether you're raking and shaking or you doing yeah. this or that or whatever, cleaning up, picking up trash, emptying the trash bins, uh, sweeping the floors in the clubhouse, uh, raking leaves off the grass. She came up with that herself. Patty came up with that. Like what? What do I have to do to get these guys to play at a higher level? She came up with that. What's she going to do now that, like like you said, with the media requests, uh, everything else is, is it's at a more mm. visible, they're under a bigger microscope now than they've ever been. How's how's Patty going to handle that? If uh, just, just as a, a, there's a thing called Skull Sparks, and what they do is they kind of monitor interaction. So if, if you like a tweet or you comment on Instagram on the OU softball stuff, that counts as like one interaction per any one of those. Uh, they released the numbers. OU softball would be the tenth biggest college football account. College football account. They would be number ten in the country in interactions. They would be in the top five if men's basketball account interactions. 
and they are like six million clear of number two in the softball world uh, interactions. So there's it's a huge microscope. It, it is uh, not microscope. Sorry, it's a massive spotlight. You're looking through a Hubble telescope at this Oklahoma softball program as closely as they're monitored. So it'll be fascinating. But hopefully, uh, we should have some fresh softball content hitting the site by the weekend. If everything, the weather's been. We already should have had the press conference, but weather's moved stuff around, which is totally fine. Get that. So hopefully, if you're craving that softball content, I'm hoping by Saturday you should start to see that starting to flow back up there again at All Sooners. Yeah, Ryan, get your ducks in a row because uh, I'll be I asking you next week's show because um, the season starts next Thursday, right? Yeah. Next Thursday, um, So, which is nuts. Um, we're, we're at that time. So you'll be locking it in. Next Wednesday show, you're locking it in. How many wins? Natty, all that. Well, you have until Wednesday. You'll have you'll have my pick for the entire. Sch- I'll just go down the schedule real quick. I'll give we'll you a lot game. for every single game. Yeah, yeah. all sixty games or whatever. <laughs> oh, um, oh, yeah, you. next Thursday oh, uh, that starts. And if you're new to us, first off, welcome aboard. Um, but if you're not, or if you uh, whatever I said, if you're new to us, Ryan covers softball extremely closely. We'll have recaps and stuff of every game all season long. Same for me from baseball. So uh, we got Diamond Sports on lock uh, at allsooners.com. So uh, we'll have you covered all throughout the season, and that starts next Thursday, which is pretty nuts. And then uh, baseball the week after that. So we're I'll right cover spring, so, uh, spring football for you guys. Don't worry, I got that. Perfect. Uh, spoiler: I got some time on that one. It's not till after spring break, so we got some time. Yeah, I think I will be picking the Oklahoma softball team to win the Big Twelve. And uh, I spoiler: I think they're going to make the women's college world series as well. Upset alert on the Big Twelve. They're not the defending champion for the first time ever, right? So well, for God, yeah. Do we have to get into the weird semantics of splitting? Like now we have the we regular have a regular season, season champion yeah. and a tournament yeah. champion. I'm just annoyed by all of it. Can it is? It's a, you get a tournament championship and you get a regular season championship. They're defending Big Twelve champions in the regular season, and I think they'll I think they'll embrace that one. Yeah, it's uh, I don't want to have whatever. I, they, they will win the baseball tournament. Yeah. It'll it'll be an absolute mission when they get there. I, I can probably guarantee that. They'll want to be there this time. They, they did not care last go around. They won't tell you that, but they did not care last go around. Yeah. All right. I think that's it for us. Good show. Got a lot of schedule talk, which is great for me. Right in my wheelhouse. Um, and, yeah, we look on to next week. Like Ryan said, we'll have some softball recap to, to talk about on the back end of next week's show as well as all the latest anything recruiting, anything football, we're going to have it for you. Of course, you know that on allsooners.com, as well as basketball recaps, Bedlam, and uh, all the other stuff, women back at home this weekend, things like that. We'll have that for you on next week's show, back next Wednesday. You can catch that one on Spotify, Google, iHeart, wherever you get your podcast. If you have an Amazon-able device, just say, Alexa, play the All Sooners podcast. Also post on our website, allsooners.com. Click on the playlist on your phone, your tablet, or your computer. You can watch all the shows on Hoover's YouTube page, John Hoover Media. That's it for us. We'll be back next Wednesday. For Ryan Chapman and John Hoover, I'm Josh Calloway. We'll catch you guys next time.